0: Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. Here's your host, Moyes Jiwa. My guest on the podcast today, Jess Stagel, is a pediatrician. We had enormous fun talking about the challenges of postnatal care, but also on what medicine can do to produce better doctors in the years ahead. Here to explore with me all of those questions is Dr. Jess Dagle. Jess, you're very welcome to this call. I'm delighted that we were able to connect. And I'm particularly delighted to be speaking to another doctor, which brings me to the first thing I wanted to explore with you. Why did you do medicine and then why did you choose to become a pediatrician?
1: Well thank you so much for having me. To be honest, I've just always felt like it was my calling. To be a pediatrician, I've actually always had an interest in children. I used to watch PBS when I was little, and I was always fascinated by, like, the little shows where they would be exploring little kids and, like, their development and things they would be doing, and, like, Mr. Rogers House and all those little shows. I was always fascinated by little people, even though I was young, too. And so I thought I was going to do, like, child psychology, but then I actually read this book by a family who had a preterm infant called The Long Dying of Baby Andrew. And looking back, that was a pretty heavy, (laughs) heavy book to read um, at a young age. I think I was about 10, 10, 11 years old. But I remember reading it. I just wanted to learn so much about babies in particular. So I think that part was natural to me. I did a lot of babysitting. So I wanted to learn a lot about babies. And I was really intrigued by the story of this family struggling within the healthcare system about the rights of their preterm infant and their rights to make a decision for that family. And so I went and looked up like, well, who takes care of like premature babies? And I came across this website actually called Neonatology on the web, and it's actually still around today. <laughs> it makes me feel old saying that, but it's true. And, and so, you know, on there, they actually explore like, this is what it takes to become a neonatologist, because that's what I found but also one of my classmates, his mom was a black female neonatologist. And so that was such a big deal to see, you know, someone like that in that position, especially then this would have been like, you know, in the early 90s and things like that, too. And so she actually let me come to the hospital and shadow her. And I saw my first little preterm infant and I was like, I'm in love. And so <laughs> I was like, after that, that, I set my course to take care of sick infants. And so that's really like the, the back story is like, I think there was just a natural inclination and then pursuing more knowledge around it and some, ex, some exposure kind of built that passion inside of me.
0: I want to explore that a little bit more with you because we now live in a society that has smaller families. There's very mm-hmm. little support. We're very mobile. Divorce is common. So single parent families are much more common. Families where gender is not differentiated, where you have the same sex of both father and a mother. The baby business has become much more complicated, hasn't it, in the last few decades. What does it look like from your perspective?
1: I like what you touched on with regard to like what we're dealing with now. One of the things with me becoming more passionate about postpartum care is like once I had my own kids, I realized the importance of support and the lack thereof. I saw like its impact real time. I had a loss when I was a resident in my first year. I carried my first child at 20 weeks. And then I got pregnant again and going into my second year and I, my son was preterm at 31 weeks. And that was, I was, you know, just getting towards the end of my pediatrics residency. And that, for me, solidified what parents deal with. It's one thing to uh, be on the educational side of things and be able to say, hey, this is what you should be doing, and this is what this looks like, and this is what we expect. And then once you have kids, you realize, oh, yeah, it's easy to say, but what your life really looks like is very different, you know? And so I always say, you know, exposure and experience needs to be paired with education. for sure, you know, to really have the impact. Um, But to really answer your question, it's it's really, uh, you know, with so many things that are layered now and being discussed, like maternal mortality, especially in Black women, and infant mortality and race going up, it's really that we need to look at the details of what we've already always known about how we provide health care, how we support People in our nation, just period, our citizens. What are we doing to make people's lives better? And and, it impacts everywhere, and and healthcare and medicine in our lives is one of the most vulnerable. You know, your health. I always say your health and your wealth are like the two things. Like you know, and even more so your health because you can be wealthy, but if you're not healthy and you're you know you're not really able to live this life the best you can, like what does it matter? All the money you have. And so the the families do look different, but the issues are the same in terms of the support is needed. And we really have to take stock of what it is that we're doing, what's really happening in families, in the homes, and how we can best provide that support. And, you know, I've started on this journey that I've been on, I've started to look into what other countries are doing, especially with regard to maternal care and infant care, because it's interesting if I hadn't been in this work, I don't think, I, I think I would have a, a naively assumed the U.S. was just at the forefront of everything, right? <laughs> like, we're just the greatest and the best and everything, but the numbers don't point that way. And I would have argued, probably argued somebody down about that, just because that's the perception that is out there. You know, the U.S. is this, and we got this going on, and this and that, but is really a lot of areas that we need to be improved on, and and healthcare and infant care and maternal care is is, is definitely one of those major areas.
0: I want to talk a little bit about the fourth trimester, What you call the fourth trimester, when the rubber hits the road, and you bring that little person home, it has a huge impact on your life, particularly these days in the context of all that we've talked about. Employment law has changed. Our ability to earn has, to to some extent, been compromised. We don't seem to have the same job from week to week. And partnerships are quite different. Marriage is less common. The stable unit is not common. And mum or dad are not around to support with the grandchild. There are major challenges, aren't there? This life event has set itself up to be one of the biggest challenges for most young people.
1: Yes, I agree with that. For those who are listening, the fourth trimester is defined as those first three months traditionally at home with a new baby in. If you have a preterm infant, that might look a lot different. <laughs> Your fourth trimester is extended, actually. But you're right in that. I taught I do a postpartum planning workshop because of this because I would see people put so much impact on developing like birth plans and and the baby showers with all the things but not realizing that like there's so much more practical things that need to be put in place in terms of what is it going what do you need to make your life that much easier and and much more supportive you're right people are having babies more in isolation there's more. In vitro fertilization. So there are moms, women that are just doing it that way and without even a partner, a like designated partner, even. And like clubs and groups, even for that. Like one of my friends is part of that. I didn't even know something like that even existed. And you're right, like even when I had my kids, I was away in residency, my family was in Louisiana, I was in Georgia. So you're trying to call on I had co-residents would come and watch my baby on the days they were off. So If we were flopping our shift, they would come and help me out with my son, watch him while I go around and stuff. It makes it so much harder because you don't have that village. Like when they say it takes a village to raise a child, it is so true. Like that is not like a cliche statement. It is necessary. Like you need people to rally around you because a mom is already going through so much physical change. And then the hormones I used to, um, before I had kids, you know, we used to say all those hormonal changes in women, that's really biological. We throw a lot of terms out there, but they really are based in reality of, of what somebody is physically going through and rates like things like postpartum depression, anxiety, and suicide on the high. And I really think it has been impacted by the lack of support. You might go see the pediatrician, and then you're rushed. They like they make sure the baby look okay, relatively okay. They kind of do a quick, how you doing, mom? But no one's really sitting there to wait for your answer and to say, have you been able to take a shower today? Did you go outside? Did somebody helping you with food? What was the last thought you had? Or how are you dealing with thoughts of, I wish that I was back without a kid all these things that people don't talk about, and then they feel guilty about it because they think nobody else is thinking it. And it's like, no, everybody has thought it at some point, like, oh, life was different before I had kids for sure. <laughs> and so I love to post those kinds of little comments and reels on my Instagram because I want people to know they are not alone. And so it's really the support looks different. You're right. The family unit looks different. And it has had an impact more negative than positive because of this, because you do need the village. And I, I try to now come up with some creative ways, but not be naive to the fact that everybody does not have the same resources. And and that does matter. You can say, hey, rally up people, but the reality is some mom is gonna be just her and that baby. And she's you know in some town and she might only know the people that she worked with the year prior. It's really hard out here for a lot of these families
0: Jess, what does that now look like i'm of the age where my kids are <laughs> long gone how are they going to cope in a world that is so fractured and where partners may be more likely to be going to work where you've got to really work very hard to earn the income You need that support, that village support, which isn't going to be around. You're relying on a neighbor that you don't really know particularly well to support you. What does it look like from your side when you are advising people? What's the sense you're getting of this?
1: I think that I've been trying to get more on the front end of it because of that, because by the time I've seen them, to be fair, like they're already having the baby, you're really kind of a little bit late. So it's almost like you have to be more intentional around having your kids. And meaning like like, I used to tell people, there's really no perfect time to have a child, especially if you're a driven individual, you always have something on those life. There's always something else you could be doing. (laughs) Building another business or moving here or starting this thing or whatever. So you have to be intentional. And if I were advising someone now, I would say, really think about the cost of living, think about what things do cost, not even just cost of living, like your physical place, but like supplies. And then like, think about your support system. Where are people, like I know of some people who are like, well, we're moving back home to be near our parents because we wanna have a baby and because we want them to be there and be involved. See, that takes that's somebody thinking about ahead. Like, I, I know this is what I'm gonna need. Right now, what I tell people, if, I'm, if as I speak to people who may, like, okay, they're in the first month or, you know, first trimester of pregnancy, I say stop focusing on the whole traditional baby showers of all these 800 pieces of clothing and all these things and plan. Tell people you need a meal train. You might want to put aside for a doula. Like one of my friends who's pregnant, I gave her a nanny fund. Here. Let's start you a nanny fund <laughs> because that's what you really going to be thinking about. You're not going to be talking about, oh, let me dress my baby in this really cute onesie and all of that. You're going to be like, man, I really wish somebody would just come clean my house right now because I'm just really that tired. And or can they just put a load of laundry in or, and you know, and for me, I even saw the difference of that. Like I was more intentional about that when I had my daughter, like, because, again, I had the experience of having my preterm son and being at home and being like, what in the world? even with all that I knew. As a doctor, I told people I wasn't precluded from the struggle of not needing support or anything. The only big bonus I would say with being a pediatrician at the time was I knew what a sick child looked like. So I knew how to react and what things were concerning and things like that, which all that also adds a layer of stress too, not knowing that wondering, is your baby okay all the time? stressful it is so I try to tell people to be more intentional about what are the things that they will need like look at your life now what is it that you're used to doing okay this is when you're doing laundry this is what you're doing with your clothes this is your groceries now think about having a baby added into that how can you still seamlessly supply those needs for yourself now having to add that baby in where it makes your life just that much more smoother because life does not stop just because you have a child is layered on top of that
0: the journal of health design fostering collaboration amplifying the voice of health advocates growing a network to improve outcomes in healthcare. care i'm not sure oh. in the way that you've described it that there there would ever be a perfect time and i'm thinking particularly about moving in with mom and dad the problem is that Mom and dad are more likely to have morbidities now than they were a while ago. Obesity is more common, therefore the related morbidities are more common. Diabetes, heart disease, cancer and all the rest of it. So you yeah. can't rely on mom and dad being physically well enough to take the baby out for walks or whatever it happens yeah. to be. I love the idea of the nanny fund, by the way. That's, I think I'm going to put that at the top of our conversation. <laughs> I love that nanny fund thing. So tell me about what people are doing, given those difficult choices that they're making. Are they choosing either to have their baby later in life, how are they negotiating with their employer, that kind of thing?
1: I think people are just really struggling through. I'm a part of a postpartum, like a mom's group. I see a lot of the social impact of kind of the things that you talk about, the discord in the relationships. People going through divorce, even while they have a new baby separation. And I try to speak to those things on my Instagram and stuff like that, too, because these are real, real life situations that people are not talking about navigating the changes in a relationship, even in your marriage, because it impacts everybody. Like having a new baby impacts everything. You as the mom, the baby is even going through their own physiologic changes and needing their needs met. Your relationship with your family, friends and your partner, your house. We talked about your career. Every aspect of your life has to be evaluated when you're having a child. Hmm, what will this mean in this instance? What could this mean here? And. I tell people, a lot of people don't, I don't think we talk about, and I don't know if this was back in the day, you're right, so much has changed. I don't know if even back when our parents, I don't I don't imagine they had conversations about planning around having babies. They just had them. Cause you know, <laughs> my grandma had like 10 kids. I don't think you, nobody was talking about anything. <laughs> I don't think there was time, right? But also cost of living was different. Everybody was like all in the same house, in the same city. So you're right i just think that people are just struggling i think that's the answer It's like we this is why we see so much of what we see going on like the returning rates because there is no one to go and check and be like you know that's a lot more extra blood and i you know is typical like something that that your mom might have noticed or pick up on or question if you just at home with your baby feeding or just tired or whatever you tend to be like well i'm gonna just go check on it next time or you know i might you know, I got the appointment in six weeks, which I think personally is too long to wait to see a mom after she didn't had a baby. We want to see the baby within the first couple of days. I think the mom should be seen within that first one or two weeks as well, to be fair. I mean, she just had most times, they just had major surgery, like a surgery is a surgery. So I think it's just, we need to evaluate where where we are now, like all these issues you bring up, all these organizations, all the AAP, the ACOG, all these places and organizations that take care of moms and babies and see what do we need to shift now that our lives look different than it did before? Because some you can't always do what you always did if what you did has changed. If that's changed, then we got to change some things too now because it doesn't it's no longer relevant.
0: Now I asked that question for a specific reason, and the reason is this that it has been shown that doctors know less and less about their patients. I'm talking about family doctors, and I am a family doctor. We know less and less about our patients because we don't do home visits. We don't follow people up from birth to death. We don't provide 24-hour care. We used to in the NHS in the UK where I worked before. We don't do that anywhere else in the world that I know of. And the reason that this is important is when you see a young woman who has had a baby... You have got to be alert to some of these issues to understand why she's coming with whatever the problem happens to be, whether it's a symptom or whether it's a psychological stress or whatever it happens to be. And that is why I think it's important to frame the issue of having a baby in 2023 in the way that we've done. Thoughts on that?
1: You asked me about being a doctor with... Uh, my personal statement for getting to med school. I actually talk about healthcare, and managed care, and how it used to be the doctor coming and sitting on your couch and taking note of what's happening in your life and factoring that into your care. Like now it's going through the DMV, which is the Department of Motor Vehicle. Here is like you pull a number and go to the window and they hurry up and get you settled and you get on your way. That's how it is now. Like drive-through, fast food, healthcare. <laughs> And that's what we're dealing with you're so right about that and that's why I started my mom and me MD to to start to go to the home because that's why I always liked working in the hospital to be fair because when I was a resident I used to always get in trouble for taking a long time in the clinic and they'd be like you're, you're taking too long in there I'm like I have a 16 year old who just found out she's pregnant you cannot talk to her in three minutes you cannot there, this is layers to She's talking about hurting herself. The, you know, she's not with the boyfriend anymore. Like all of this matters. You cannot isolate one part of a person's life. All of it factors into the decisions they make about themselves, their care, all of it. And so that's why I went to the hospital because, you know, in the hospital, if I want to sit on the bed and be like, all right, so tell me what's going on and What's happening at your house or what's what it's gonna look like when you go home and who's there? Like I'm nosy like that. I'm like <laughs> I'll ask them, if I don't see the dad, I'm like, so is the dad gonna be involved at all? Like I asked that because I'm curious, like what how are they going to survive this time in their lives? Like who is gonna be there at the house with you when you leave the hospital? Like I asked these questions. And so when I thought about like, how, well, other people they go to the home, uh therapists, like occupation, you can get therapy at home adults Madison has some home health I was like why aren't we doing this in the maternal space and then I found a neonatologist in Colorado who had started and I was so inspired because I thought about doing like a home health thing where you go to the home but I was like I don't see anybody doing that you know how you think your ideas are crazy <laughs> like it makes sense but you're like is anybody doing that like how is that how could that get covered or you know because I mean I went into healthcare for the passion of it, but I do have to be realistic. Like I do have to make some money to live. (laughs) So, you know, trying to balance the passion, but the real, the reality of the world that we're in and and the payer models and what's important to insurance companies and all that stuff. Right. You know, that's not the stuff they teach you when you decide you want to be a doctor, you know, (laughs) you think I want to help people. And then you get into, to it and you're like, I don't know if I'm helping anybody. (laughs) So we really do need to to go back to that model of really understanding the social impact. Like when they say the social determinants of health, that is so true because your social environment does impact your health, what the type of food you have access to, your environment, the air we were even breathing. All we're we're learning so much about things that we kind of took for granted that. Now we're finding out things that lead to cancer that we thought were, fi- you know, it's so much that we're learning. And so it can't be just about learning. It needs to be now that we've learned this, what do we do with this information? I was in an interview with a lady yesterday, and she was talking about, we keep just talking about the rates of things. What are we doing to change the rates that we keep pointing out? We're going to go the next five years, keep talking about maternal mortality and look back and Yeah, we've been dealing with this for 20 years. Yeah. So why haven't we changed anything? (laughs) And it could be simple stuff like having someone go home. They say success leaves clues. So if other countries have the countries that have these lower rates, we need to be studying them. What are they doing? Because they can't be they're they're human, too. They can't be too different. You know, the experiences they can't be that different. But it's just that I, this just no interest. I just think the problem is true lack of care. You know, I actually want to give a TED talk on this because <laughs> I just think this is a problem in this world. Like people just don't care about the right things anymore.
0: I want to ask you another question that's related. And that is that I'm in the business of training doctors for the future. Mm-hmm. What is your advice to me and people like me who will be responsible for the doctors that go out into the world at the end of this year, next year, and the year after that. What should Mm -hmm. we be doing to make sure that the system responds without reinventing the whole system, which is going to be very difficult anyway?
1: That's a tough one, because I think doctors, in a way, need to take back medicine. (laughs) It's too much of... People that are not at the bedside running things, to be fair. You can't impact what you don't understand, is what I think. So it's like, it's just like when I was the pediatrician that didn't have the kids, I can be very good at saying what I've learned. We all can remotely say something, and and that's smart and somewhat adequate or whatever. But when you layer that experience, it gives you a different perspective. And so, I think the answer is that we need to raise up more physicians that pursue more leadership roles in the way that it matters. So that way we're at the helm of making these decisions around changing the things that we see that are wrong in medicine. I wrote a post for Match Day, some tips and truths that I think will help them. It was five tips. The first one was your patients will be your best teachers. And I put always to be curious and willing to learn from them. Remember that it's a privilege to take care of someone at their most vulnerable and lead with kindness. I think we just don't take enough time to self-reflect and practice awareness around what we're doing. We're just kind of going through the motion. It's not enough to just be smart. There's a lot of smart people that don't need to practice medicine. (laughs) The second thing is integrity, gratitude, and humanism should be your best character trait. If we practice gratitude in ourselves, it will, I think, allow us to look at our, our worldview would be better. I, think, I really think that. I put that you can and will learn from all members of the healthcare team because there's this arrogance, I think, in medicine, where it's, I'm the doctor and just because of what I said. And, you know, that was how it was, right? It was like that paternalistic model. But when it was like that, it was that person that was all up in your business, too, at your house, you know, like like how a parent is. <laughs> so you have to reframe that in terms of you now, if you have that type of arrogance, it's not of the same frame because you're not really into the details of your patient's life like that. So I put learning from them as a game changer. When I started residency, I paid attention. The nurses knew. They know who do what. They know all your attendance. They know what they like, orders down to the—the nurses really run the hospital, to be fair. Like, they know all the policies. Like, (laughs) if I don't know something, I'm like, let me talk to the nurse administrator because she don't know. (laughs) They're all about the rules, okay? (laughs) I put that you will be tired a lot, and a lot will be asked of you. But to remember that you do matter, too. So I am definitely not about—we have to be self-sacrificing. But we do have a higher responsibility— and um and balancing that is going to be key. And then the last thing is there will be good and bad like that's life. You're going to see some hard things and you're going to have to ask yourself some hard questions. I remember when I was in med school after they gave us a talk on like the state of healthcare and this was in like what 2007 or 8 or something like that. I went to the dean's office and I was like I don't think I want to be a doctor anymore. <laughs> And he was like, no, you're the person that actually needs to stay in medicine. He was like, please go back and study. He was like, you actually care about what's happening. <laughs> so I put medicine today needs thought leaders and innovators and just good old decent people. So be all of that. So that, that's my answer. My answer is when you're entering this field, it's not enough to be smart. You have to be willing to say, "What and how am I going to positively impact this field and bring change to the people's lives that I will be a part of.
0: Jess, your dean was absolutely right. <laughs> medicine needs more doctors <laughs> like you, always has done, always will do. You're quite right. Uh, there are lots of smart people who should not practice medicine, but there are also lots of smart people like you who do need to practice medicine. It's been an absolute yeah. joy spending time with you. Thank you so much for taking the time, and we wish you all the very best.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I love all your questions. I love thought-provoking questions. That's how we get to the answers that we need is being willing to look at those details and ask those hard questions.
0: The Health Design Podcast, serving patient and physician advocates. Visit us at journalofhealthdesign.com.